It's good to see everyone tonight. I know that we have a number of our young people missing for the hay program that's at Central, but uh, they'll be back with us. Uh, we're glad to have you tonight. We have visitors with us, and we want you to always know that we appreciate you. And on the first Sunday night of the month, I generally preach a lesson on questions and answers. Considering I wasn't here last Sunday evening, I moved it to this evening. And so tonight we're going to be dealing with some questions. And I will tell you, questions are a great way to learn. In fact, for me, that's one of the ways that I learn the most. I ask a question and then I try to seek the answer to that. Some of the questions that we're asked are those that deal with textual matters. In other words, what does a passage say? What does it mean? And then there are those that are doctrinal, that relate to what the Bible teaches about how we practice various things. And then some are practical. They deal with how we implement in our own lives some of the teachings of Scripture and how we should live. And the questions that we have tonight, and we have three of them, they all involve various things. Two of the questions, the first one and the last one, have been asked by more than one person. In fact, some of them have been asked by several, and so we're going to try to uh, deal with ones which I believe are uh, important to you. I will tell you, I still have about six questions that I have not addressed in tonight's lesson or in previous ones. But if you do have a question, I encourage you to write it down, uh, hand it to me. You can email it or just put it on my desk, whatever will be more uh, convenient for you, and then we'll try to address it at a future lesson. The first question tonight is, what is Lent? Is it appropriate for the church to participate with denominations to celebrate it? Now, I will presume that this came from a Southern Standard newspaper ad, and so my putting it on the screen I don't think is going to embarrass anybody because it was actually put in the Southern Standard on more than one occasion. But it states that Lenten lunch begins Wednesday, and I'm going to read the ad. It says, Lenten lunch meditations have been a tradition in McMinnville for several decades. This year, the McMinnville Area Ministerial Fellowship will be holding events every Wednesday during Lent at the First Methodist Church downtown across the street from the library. The services are free and open to uh, the public. They start every few minutes after 12 p.m. and they will wrap up uh, as close to 12.30 as possible. A soup and sandwich lunch will be served in the church fellowship hall after each service. Each Wednesday, a different church will be hosting the meal and their minister will be speaking at the service. Each week's service will be also broadcast on WCPI radio and then this, the schedule is given. And so... I'm assuming that this, because one of the congregations here in McMinnville is participating, made people ask the question about it. First of all, Lent is nowhere found in the Bible. If it's nowhere found in the Bible, then we have no authority to observe it, to celebrate, to participate in it. And I want to stress as strongly as I possibly can the importance of our respecting Bible authority. If you'll notice tonight when we sang, we did not have instruments of music as many churches do. And the question that comes up, why don't you use instrumental music? 
And the reason is we have no Bible authority for it. I did not come up here dressed in some sort of a vestment that says that I am some sort of a clergy because I'm not. There's no Bible authority for it. We did not have any incense being uh, uh, burned during the services because we have no authority for it. And I do want to point out to you that when you go to the Bible, there's some very important principles that are found there. In Hebrews chapter 7, verses 12 through 14, the discussion is brought up about uh, the Lord serving as a priest. And the writer says, for the priesthood being changed, of necessity there's also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning the priesthood. When Moses said, I want the tribe of Levi, because at God's direction he spoke that, then only the tribe of Levi could participate in the priesthood. And the Hebrew writer says, now if Jesus is going to be a priest, there had to be a change of the law because the law only permitted Levites to do that. Jesus was from Judah. What we understand is you have to respect the fact that when the Lord designates what he wants, he does not have to go over a whole list to say, I don't want you to do this and I don't want you to do that. There's no need to do that. First Chronicles chapter 15, you have the follow-up of what happened when David put the Ark of the Covenant on a cart and he had the Ark being drawn on that and the oxen stumbled. Uzzah put out his hand to stable the Ark and when he did, God killed him there. And you might say, boy, that was very harsh, but God was wanting to make a point. His point was those two rings on either side of the ark and the poles that went through that was to be borne upon the shoulders of the priest. And you get to 1 Chronicles 15 and verse 2. Then David said, No one may carry the ark of God but the Levites, for the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of God and to minister before him forever. David learned his lesson. And you go down to verse 13, For because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult him about the proper order. You know, God is, means what he says. And David tried to do it a different way and God said that won't work. And in doing so, Uzzah lost his life. In the book of Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, you have the children of Aaron who are now participating in a particular sacrifice. But they're not doing what God has told them to do. In fact, it says, Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer, put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane or strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them. They died before the Lord. He said, why are you driving home this point? The point I'm trying to drive home is simply this. They didn't have authority. They didn't have permission from God to do this, and God struck them dead. Brethren, it's a very serious thing that we have Bible authority for what we do. Well, someone says, but my question is, what is Lent then? 
Well, Lent begins with Ash Wednesday, which is 40 days prior to Easter. And it is marked by fasting and asceticism, that is denying yourself all sorts of physical uh, pleasures and enjoyment. And there is a display on the forehead. If you'll notice the picture here, a person will then put ashes on their forehead. Uh, many times people will look and say, what's that newscaster got on his forehead? There's something there, and it's usually for Ash Wednesday, wearing the ashes so someone will know that they're demonstrating that. What you may not know is that it is preceded by Fat Tuesday. And you say, what do you mean by Fat Tuesday? That means that people say, okay, I know I'm going to be fasting tomorrow, so I'm going to just gorge myself today. I'm just going to eat all I can eat, and I'm going to, and since I'm going to have to be not doing all these things I really enjoy, I'm just going to have a festive time. The name of this is Mardi Gras, and it's a raucous celebration. In fact, if you go to New Orleans, you will be embarrassed. That's one of the calmest pictures I could find to put on the screen because I wouldn't put on the screen some of the stuff that you would see. And you see, right before you're supposed to be humbling yourself, these people are displaying themselves. Thus, they have no meat on Fridays to reflect the sadness of no feasting. They say, while Jesus offered his flesh, you and I should deny eating flesh. And so here is a picture on their site. It says, no meat, no flesh, no organs, mammals, or fowls, but you can't eat flesh of fish amphibians or reptiles you know it's interesting why you can just choose to do one and not do the other but when we ask the question is asceticism that denying of all these pleasures is that valuable as a spiritual exercise listen to colossians chapter 2 verses 21 through 23 do not touch do not taste do not handle which all concern things which perish with the using listen carefully according to the commandments and the doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. You see, a person can say, oh, I'm trying to humble myself. This reminds me a lot of Ramadan, which is the celebration that the Muslims go through every year. And I have been in Israel and have been in Jordan during the Ramadan. And this period of time, they're supposed to not uh, eat anything during the daylight hours. They're not supposed to smoke cigarettes. They're not supposed to do all sorts of things. But what the people would tell me is they get up real early in the morning, about 4 o'clock, and they just gorge yourselves, eat real big so that they can fast all day long. You see, it, it really is no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Now, while fasting is a biblical concept, and it may be beneficial, but it's always optional, and it was never intended to be an outward display. And for a person to put a, an ash cross on their forehead or just an ash mark goes against the kind of teaching the Lord did on the Sermon on the Mount. Brother Kelly read for us just a few moments ago from Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, he said these people, the hypocrites, they put on a sad face. They want everybody to see what they're doing. And he says, 
That's not what I intended for it to be done. He said, when you fast, he says, anoint your head, wash your face. So that you do not appear to men to be fasting. It's not an outward display. You want to fast? Go ahead and fast. But he said, make sure you're not doing it for show. Now the answer to the second part of the question is, is it permissible to have fellowship with the denominations in celebrating it? That answer is very simple from the Bible. Second John, whosoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes unto you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deed. In other words, you don't participate with them. You don't go beyond. Romans 16, verses 17 and 18. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who are caused divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. For such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ by their own belly and by their smooth words and their flattering speech they deceive the hearts of the simple. Question number two. I've got to move quickly. In Mark 15, verse 39... When the centurion who was standing right in front of Jesus saw the way he breathed his last, said, Truly this man was the Son of God. Was it, what was it about the way he breathed his last that convinced the centurion that he was Jesus? I think the value here is I need to back up and see the fuller context of this question. Beginning with verse 33, now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood by when they heard that, look, he's calling for Elijah. Then some ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink, saying, Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. And then the veil of the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was a son of God. I want you to notice there's been darkness over the land from the sixth hour to the ninth hour. That is from noon to 3 p.m. That had to be a remarkable. You know it's not a, a solar eclipse. In fact, it was just a couple years ago, if you'll remember, that we had a solar eclipse and there were several people gathered in our parking lot to see the, the eclipse. It only lasted a short time. This darkness lasted for three hours and had to be remarkable. It was accompanied with the Lord's loud cry, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. He's crying out and it sounds like he's crying out for Elijah. According to Luke chapter 23 verse 46, he also said, Father into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last we also know that they thought he was calling for Elijah. But at his death, the temple curtain was torn from the top to the bottom. But you know, there's so much more that was going on. 
I could spend a lot of time trying to parallel these, but I want you to listen to Matthew's account, which even offers more information. He said in verses 51 and 52, Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Now, um, all of this combined, the fact that you had the darkness, the fact that you had the earthquake, the fact that you had dead people being raised and walking about the city, and then you have Jesus saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It is finished. The centurion who had stood there at the foot of the cross heard all that happened, saw all that he saw. Notice it says, So when the centurion and those who were with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly this was a Son of God. It wasn't just the way he breathed. That was important. They saw the life go out of his body. But what they heard and what they saw all together produced for them a respect for the fact that he was the Son of God. Now, I think this illustrates a really good principle. And that principle is that when you and I are studying the Bible, we need to always say, okay, this, I'm looking at this passage. Is there somewhere else in the Bible that this same event is described? And if so, a parallel passage, how can I put all of this together so that I get the full picture? And I think that's a great way to study. That's a good question and provides for us a good way to illustrate the Bible. Now, question number three. Should one partake of the Lord's Supper if they are not right with the Lord? This is a question I've had asked by several. And this question is derived from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 27. And I want to compare the King James and the New King James so that you might understand why this question has arisen. Verse, the New King James first. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. The original King James says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Now, the question is this word unworthy or unworthily. And people say, well, are you worthy to partake of the Lord's Supper? Stop at that point. Who of us is worthy to partake of the Lord's Supper? Who of us, if we could say, I don't have any sins ever laid to my charge. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 1 John 1 and verse 8. If we say we have not sinned, we, we call him a liar. 1 John chapter 1. But the truth is, the word here in the Bible is an adverb, not an adjective. And you're going to get a little bit of an English lesson. Adverbs modify verbs and other adverbs. Adjectives modify nouns. And because it is an adverb, it's talking about the way that a person does it, not the person who does it. So you're talking about an unworthy manner 
And so the emphasis is not on the person's worthiness, but is on the manner in which that person partakes. And if you do that, then that changes the whole perspective of it. Well, then what then is the manner that is prescribed? Look with me at verses 28 and 29 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and let him drink of the cup. For who, he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Notice verse 28 and then the explanation in the latter part of verse 29. And it says, let a man examine himself. Now, you might say, well, do I, am I examining myself to see whether or not I'm worthy? That's not what the text is saying. The emphasis is on personal reflection on what the Lord has done. The fact that I remember the body and the blood of the Lord. But then somebody says, but what about him? What about her? What about that person? Let me remind you of what occurred in John chapter 21, verses 20 through 22. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, who also leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Well, you think about that. Lord, what's going to happen to John? Jesus said to him, If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Peter, who are you concerned about? Peter, you need to be concerned about you. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Judge not that you be not judged. For what judgment you judge, you will be judged. What measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look the speck that's in your brother's eye and do not consider the plank that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. That passage is not saying that you cannot judge. That passage does not say that you cannot rebuke someone for their sinful ways or sinful actions. But that passage is emphasizing that we ought to be first looking at ourselves, then looking at someone else. And then to put this back in the context with what we previously studied, you look at verse 31. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. And what Paul is saying to the Corinthians is, if you and I would do what we're supposed to do in the partaking of the Lord's Supper, then we wouldn't have to be the ones being judged. If we would remember the body and the blood of the Lord, then we would not be judged. And thus, what he's talking about is discerning of the Lord's body. Look with me at verses 23 and 20 through 25. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup and after supper saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as you often as you drink it in remembrance of me. When that bread is handed to me or when that fruit of the vine is handed to me, my mind is supposed to be focused on the bread representing the body of Christ, the fruit of the vine representing his blood, and that should be my focus. 
We often will say, let us block out all the things of the world. Let's focus our minds on that. That is what we're supposed to be doing. That is discerning the Lord's body. Now let me offer a warning, and I may be treading in dangerous territory here, but so be it. In looking at others, we may be guilty of this passage itself. If my mind is focused on what someone else is doing, then I don't have time to focus on the Lord's Supper itself. If I'm focused on what you are doing, then how am I remembering the body and blood? You know, for years people wanted to have a song being sung during the Lord's Supper. I can't sing and think about the words of the song while I'm partaking of the Lord's Supper itself. I can't do two things at one time. I'm not that talented. I'm not that capable. I have to focus my mind on the body and the blood of the Lord. And an illustration that I think is sometimes humorous, but it does illustrate the point. There's a little boy who at the end of the prayer looks at his mama and daddy and says, Sissy had her eyes open during the prayer. And daddy looked at the little boy and said, How do you know? And the reason why is because the little boy had his eyes open looking at his sister. He was interested in seeing what the sister was doing rather than he was in the prayer. And, you know, if we're not careful, we can find ourselves doing the same thing. My recommendation is, is when the communion is passed, that you dismiss everything else from your mind and you focus simply upon what you're doing during that period of time. And then when the Lord makes his judgments, the Lord looks down on Tony and is judging Tony for what he's doing. And uh, we, need to, we need to each look at ourselves and make sure we're doing that. Our focus has to remain on consulting God's word for everything we do. I mean, whether it's the way we uh, participate in our services, whether it's what we sing, the way we pray, the way we take the Lord's Supper, the way we give. Uh, all these things ought to be guided by a thus saith the Lord. Sometimes we seek worldly advice and it seems to make sense. You know, sometimes the world participates in a, an activity and we say, you know what, that, that's, that's pretty good. But there's no substitute for going and consulting God about the proper order, the way he would have us to do it. But as I always try to end each of these question and answer sessions, there is no greater question to be asked then what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? When you say what, that implies there's something. Something that I must do. When you say must, that's an obligation. It's not a matter of, of, of a person saying, well, can we do it another way? No, this, these are obligations to be saved. These are things that are necessary. And here's what's necessary. You have to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. You have to repent of your sins. That is to say, I'm sorry for what I've done and demonstrate that by the actions that you follow it with. Confess Christ's name that he believed he's the Son of God and be baptized for the remission of your sins. I've seen several folks over the last few days that have been baptized at various congregations. Uh, that's one good thing about Facebook. If you've got good friends, a lot of times you see a lot of good things. And I've seen several folks baptized. And what a great privilege it would be to have another brother or sister tonight. 
But the fact is, is that the majority of us here are Christians, and sometimes we're carrying around burdens with us, burdens we don't need to carry. The burden we're carrying is sin that's not repented of and sins that are keeping us from being what God wants us to be. And if that's who you are and that's the life you have now, what a great privilege we have to pray for one another. If you need to come tonight, would you come as together we stand and sing?